Good morning, everybody. We're going to continue looking at the book of Isaiah this morning. So if this is your first Sunday here in a few weeks, we spent the previous three weeks looking at the book of Isaiah. We're in a summer series through the major prophets and seeing how they point to Jesus. So this isn't a deep dive into every part of Isaiah. It's kind of a little appetizer each week to kind of whet your appetite to hope to encourage you to more deeply go into God's word and see how we see our Savior in the Old Testament. So this morning, I have the pleasure of opening up what are called the servant songs. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know that some of you, especially you kids, this might be the first time you're hearing the word, the servant songs. So in Isaiah, there's four passages in the book of Isaiah called the servant songs. And different commentators and scholars kind of differ on exactly where those begin and end within those chapters. But what we're going to look at is seeing how Jesus is the servant who saves his people. And we'll be looking at chapters 42 at the beginning of that up through verse 9, chapter 49, uh, beginning of it through verse 13, chapter 50, Mostly 4 through 9, but a lot of people say 1 through 11, but we'll be focusing in verses 4 through 9. And then the final song, chapter 52, 13 through chapter 53, verse 12. You don't have to write that all down. We'll have a lot of scripture that is out throughout this sermon. And again, this isn't going to be a deep dive. We're not doing like four sermons in one. So don't worry if you have lunch plans, you will get out for them. Um, But what I do hope happens as we look at this, as we see Jesus, the servant of God who saves his people, we hope, I hope, that you'll want to go, I want to read chapter 42 and go deeper and see Jesus. I want to read chapter 49 and go deeper and see Jesus. I want to look at chapter 50 and chapters 52 through 53. So we're going to have a scripture reading this morning of one of these songs. We're going to Look at chapter 52, the end of it, through 53. This is probably the most well-known servant song, and it's kind of going to be our launching point. Um, And I kind of gave away one big thing when we're talking about the servant. So Isaiah doesn't say the servant, in quotations, Jesus. Um, So there's been some argument over the years by scholars of who is this servant that God is talking about or who is speaking, that that God is speaking through Isaiah and his prophecy. The servant, some would say, would be the people of Israel as a nation, as a group. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel at times is called God's servant. And even in chapter 41, preceding chapter 42, our first servant song, Israel is referred to as God's servant. But because of what we see in the New Testament, it's very clear It's very clear that the answer to who is the servant that the servant songs are talking about, who is that? The answer is, kids, I'll let you get this one. Everybody just shout it out. Who's the servant? Jesus. Jesus. Very good. Good job, kids. So how do we know it's Jesus? Okay, I said the New Testament says a lot. But Jesus in particular, and Luke 22 says, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. This is referring to Isaiah, that Jesus indeed is the servant. 
Several New Testament authors point us to the fact over and over again that Jesus is the servant. If we remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch is looking at Isaiah, particularly chapter 53, and he says, about whom does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip goes on to explain how Jesus came and fulfilled this prophecy in Isaiah 53. And Paul, several times, mentions Jesus as being the fulfillment of the servant song prophecies. We see that Jesus, indeed, is the one who suffered in the place of those who sinned, and that his righteousness counts for them, those who trust in him. So, who is the servant? The servant is Jesus. So as we hear now one of the songs being read, let us revel, marvel, wonder how great a Savior we have in Jesus. So Jenny, would you come and read Isaiah chapter 52, 13 through 53, 12. My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as of, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see an offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors.
Let us pray, asking that God would teach us through his word. God, we thank you for your word that's been preserved for us, that's been translated so that we can understand it, and that you give us understanding, that we might see you, and that we might see Jesus, our gracious and merciful Savior. So we pray that as we take time to look at your word, that we would indeed behold your servant, that we would see Jesus and be in awe of him. That we would see that he was obedient to the point of death on the cross, that he suffered on our behalf so that we may be saved. God, you are so kind to us. When we pause and think, we know that we do not deserve this, that we have disobeyed, but because of Christ's obedience, we can have his righteousness count for us. So God, would you help us to remember these things? For those that do not know Jesus, would you reveal him to them this morning? Would you see that he offers his life as a sacrifice for many? And oh, Jesus, we praise you. The beloved servant of the Father who came and laid aside your glory, you took human form, you endured suffering, you persevered, you obeyed the Father, and you saved us. So we praise you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you give us understanding this morning? We can read words, we can memorize words, but until you work in our hearts, in our minds, and give us understanding, they're just words on a page. Would you have them come to life for us? Would they change us? Would they cause us to worship you? Would they cause us to turn from our sin and turn toward Jesus? Would they cause us to lay aside our idolatry and to worship the one true God? God, would you be at work this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, caveat, we're not going to cover everything in the servant songs. So think of this as like being at like a wedding reception and there's a bunch of plates that are being walked around and there are like these awesome hors d'oeuvres where sure you could stand at one plate and like fill up and have a really good meal of like, ooh, I like that bacon wrap scallop, I'm gonna have that as my meal. You could do that, but you're missing out on a whole bunch of other really good things. So we're going to take a whole bunch of really good things instead of just sitting at one place this morning, and we hope that you take time throughout this week as you're reading the book of Isaiah. We'll have one more sermon in chapters 65 and 66 next week. So if you've been reading along through the book of Isaiah with us, I encourage you, instead of going, oh, I really wish we would have dove more into chapter 42 this morning, Dive deeper into chapter 42 this coming week. We're going to see some unified things here in the servant songs, but not see everything. So the big idea today, and kids, you can write down just what's underlined if you have a hard time keeping up, but the big idea is that Jesus is the chosen, obedient, and suffering servant who saves his people. Or Jesus is the servant who saves his people. So Jesus is the chosen, obedient, and suffering servant who saves his people.
Again, we see that Jesus is the servant of God. That means that he is the one sent to do the will or the work of God the Father. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. So as we look at these four songs, we're going to see that Jesus is the servant who does the will or the work of the Father. So first, we're going to look at Jesus being the chosen servant. So Jesus is the chosen servant. So to be chosen means that you're the one who's picked. And in particular, Jesus is the choice choice, meaning the best choice. He's really the only choice because no one else could do what he was sent to do. Again, many people failed to do what Jesus would come to do after the prophet Isaiah prophesies um, about the servant. The nation of Israel failed to be a pure people doing what God called them to do. So we see this servant being prophesied about that he is the chosen one. Chapter 42, verse 1 starts out, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, declaring who his servant is and what he will do. He is the chosen servant sent by the Father. Again, in the second song, chapter 49, verse 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. The servant was chosen by the Father. And again, in the fourth song, chapter 53, verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. It was the will of Yahweh, of God the Father, to send the servant to do this work. He was chosen to do the work only he could do. There's only one soul that could make an offering for the guilt of people. There is only one who the offspring, the members of the new covenant, who that could be through. And that is the servant chosen by God, his very son Jesus, who was sent to save the world. In Matthew 3, in the New Testament, in Mark 9, we see the baptism of Jesus. Talked about Trinity Sunday where we see kind of the God in three persons all at one time where the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, giving testimony that indeed Jesus was the one sent by the Father. And again in Matthew chapter 17 at the transfiguration, when Jesus is with a few of his disciples, again, the Father cries out from the clouds, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He is the chosen servant sent by the Father. And even though he was chosen and he could come with glory, as we read in Philippians 2 earlier and as we see through the life of Jesus 
And as we see through the prophet Isaiah, he was a chosen servant, but he was also a meek servant. Even though he was chosen by God the Father in all of his glory, he was a meek servant, meaning he didn't come shouting, proclaiming on the streets of his greatness. Sometimes when he would heal people or do miraculous works, he actually told his disciples or told the recipients of his miraculous works not to tell about it. He was a meek servant. We see that in our texts today in chapter 42, verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. From the third song. For he grew up before him like a young plant. Sorry, from the fourth song. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The chosen servant was a meek servant. Jesus quietly serves us. As the prophet Isaiah told us, he would come. He didn't come shouting from the clouds, descending from heaven as he could have. He came and was humbly born in a manger, chosen by God to save a people, but coming quietly, meekly. The chosen servant was also spirit-empowered. We see again in chapter 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. What does it mean to be spirit-empowered? It means that Jesus indeed was enabled by the Holy Spirit to do the work of the servant. That God the Father saw it in his pleasure to pour the Spirit upon him to enable him to do the work that he's called him to do as his chosen servant. Chapter 50, verse 7. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. This is a servant talking. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. I know that I shall not be put put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. We see the Lord God helps the chosen servant do his work. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, particularly in the New Testament, shows us this over and over again, that the ministry of Jesus is enabled by the Spirit being with him. So the work of the chosen servant is enabled by the Spirit being poured out upon him. It is a Spirit-empowered work that the chosen servant accomplishes. So we see that Jesus is the chosen servant. He's the one picked and sent by God the Father to do the work of saving a people to himself. We're going to be talking about what this saving looks like, but it looks like saving and restoring a piece of Israel, the nation, but also being a light for the nations. God's chosen servant does the saving work of both restoring a remnant of Israel and being a light to the nations. 
So Jesus is the chosen servant of God, but he is also the obedient servant of God. Jesus is the obedient servant of God. We read earlier from Philippians 2, and I'm going to read again from verses 8 through 11. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In our servant songs today, we see this in particular in, verse, in chapter 50, verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. He did what the Father called him to do. He was obedient. In chapter 42, verse 4, We see Jesus' perseverance. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastland wait for his law. Again in chapter 50, Therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. And again, as Rob opened our series and opened our look at the book of Isaiah a few weeks ago, We talked about how Isaiah is the most quoted or alluded to book in the Bible that is in the New Testament, over 400 times. Let's think about chapter 50. We're going to take a pause just for a second. Verse 7, Therefore I have set my face like a flint. I know that I shall not be put to shame. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. That the work before him that was set before him by God the Father was going to be a hard work. That wasn't just something that he was going to aimlessly wander into or do easily. He was going to have to endure suffering, which we'll talk about in a minute. He knew that suffering was coming. He talked about this suffering with his disciples leading up to this walk towards Jerusalem. When we see in the servant song in chapter 50, The servant saying, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. We see the servant proclaiming he knows the work that's before him, and that he is going to be obedient to the Father who sent him to do that work. That he is steadfast, immovable, unshakable, ready to do the work that the Father has sent him to do. Jesus is the obedient servant who perseveres, into the hard work of laying down his life for a people. The servant knows that God will be with him because his mission is just. God isn't just on his side because he's playing favorites. He's on his side because he is holy. He's on the side of holy justice and righteousness, which is seen in the servant Jesus. Why can he be obedient and persevere, he knows the Father is with him. He knows the work that needs to be done, and he knows the Father is with him. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be difficult work, but Jesus obeys. Jesus knows the plan of the Father and walks in it. So we see Jesus as the obedient servant. 
Again, there's so, so many more things that we can say and look at these songs and go into the New Testament, but for the sake of time, we're going to keep them to a few things for each section. So we see that Jesus is obedient, and we also see that Jesus is the suffering servant. So we've seen that he's the chosen servant, he's the obedient servant, and we see that he is the suffering servant. Again, the fourth song is probably the well, most well-known song of the servant songs in Isaiah. It's actually called the suffering servant song, but we also see a glimpse of it in chapter 50, that Jesus came as a chosen one to do the Father's will, and he was obedient to do that, and he knew that he was going to suffer. Chapter 50, verse 6, the servant says, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And again, as we know now on this side of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we can look back at his life and see how he fulfilled this suffering. That as he was brought to trial and in, in front of the high court, the high priests, as he was brought in front of Pilate, he was despised and rejected. He was disgraced, he was punched, he was pushed, he was spit on. He was the suffering servant. Chapter 53, verses 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. This should give us pause. That Jesus suffered for us. Why did Jesus have to be the suffering servant? It's because there needed to be payment for our sin. It's because there was wickedness in the world. What we read here about Christ's suffering, the servant's suffering, is because of sin entering the world. And as we consider sin, we need to stop and consider our sin which Jesus suffered for on our behalf. So we're going to read one more part of the servant songs pointing to the suffering servant and let us consider what Jesus did for us. Let it land on you, seeing that Jesus didn't just endure a little bit of inconvenience as suffering, but listen to what he endured as suffering for us. Chapter 53, verses 7 through 8 and 10 through 11. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
It's the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Again, Jesus knew that the will of the Father was for him to suffer. And he obeyed to the point of death on the cross. That he obeyed and endured being mocked and scourged, whipped and beaten, spit upon. The Holy One of God did that for us. The suffering servant in Isaiah is Christ Jesus who endured all of this for us. Jesus tried to tell his disciples that this was going to happen. In Matthew 17, he tells them, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And again, in the accounts of Jesus' last days, Matthew 27 and Mark 14 and 15, we see him spit on, mocked, beaten. Jesus did not deserve this suffering. Sometimes we see punishment dished out and we go, that is just, that is righteous, that was deserved. The suffering of Jesus was not deserved. The suffering of Jesus was love and grace and mercy from a God who sent him to reconcile a people to himself. One commentator, Alec Matier, says, you can put that up, that not a, it was not a suffering because of wrongdoing, but through costly obedience. Suffering not merited, but accepted. When we talk about the suffering of Jesus, it is not a suffering that occurred because Jesus did wrong. When he is beaten and spit upon by the religious officials, when he is beaten by the Roman soldiers, this was not because of his wrongdoing. Now, they accused him of wrongdoing. They accused him of blasphemy, saying that he indeed was God. But Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is God. He was not wrong. He suffered, not because of wrongdoing, but because he was obedient to the Father. It was not something that he deserved, but that he accepted on our behalf. Kids, one of the things that you'll relearn if you've already been through VBS is a section of scripture in Romans, and it says that the wages of what is what? The wages of sin is death. Jesus did not deserve to die. Jesus did not deserve to suffer, for he had no sin. The suffering and death that Jesus endured 
was not because he did any wrong, but that he might make a way for a people to be saved. Jesus is the suffering servant. And then finally, we're going to take some time and look at this servant who saves his people. So Jesus, the chosen, obedient, suffering servant, saves his people. Again, a lot could be said about Jesus saving his people. We can talk about judgment or justice, right justice being brought into a world full of sin and wickedness. We see in chapter 42, verse 1, that the servant will bring forth justice to the nations. What does that mean? He's going to speak what is true and exercise judgment based on what is true. What is true of us in this world, in our sin, he's going to right every wrong. Jesus will bring justice and save his people. What else does Jesus saving his people look like? It looks like rescuing or winning back a remnant of Israel, restoring them, and then also making a covenant with the nations, with Gentiles, those outside the Israelites. Chapter 42, verses 6 and 7 says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Jesus saving his people wasn't just saving the nation of Israel, but it was to fulfill the promise that he was going to make a covenant with the nations to redeem a people for himself. He was going to be a light for the nations. He was going to free those who were oppressed in bondage in sin. They could not break their own chains that he would free them and bring them out from the dungeon. Chapter 49, verse 6 says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Through the prophet Isaiah, God, the Father, Yahweh, calls out that his servant will not just bring back a preserved people from Israel, but he was going to make his salvation to the end of the earth. That's good news for most of us. We who were not once God's people have been made God's people through the servant Jesus. His salvation reaches long and wide and far, all the way to us. Chapter 53, again. It is the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. We're reading a lot of these over and over, and I hope they sink in. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus saves. He saves his people. Again, not just the remnant of Israel, but he comes to the nations. 
that the work that he did in obeying the Father and suffering and laying down his life comes all the way to us that we might be counted righteous for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But those who trust in Jesus, those who turn from their sin called repenting and trust in Jesus, believe in him, they are counted righteous because Jesus spared their iniquities. Jesus' obedient life counts for us. Jesus' sacrificial death counts for us, those who turn from our sin and trust in him. We are justified because of the chosen, obedient, suffering servant. We get to be called sons and daughters of God because of this great servant, Jesus. Jesus saves his people. And we are to delight in that. Part of Jesus saving his people is that he teaches his people. He teaches what is right, what is true, what is good. Chapter 49, verses 1 through 2. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. Jesus' words are perfect. When the servant is talking in this song, he says that my mouth is like a sharp sword. When Jesus teaches, it cuts straight to the truth. There's nothing wrong with what he says. There's nothing wrong with how he says it. Jesus weighs his words properly every time. So as we see him teach in the New Testament, it is good for us to listen and to be cut to the heart, to trust what he says and to obey him. Jesus teaches us. It's part of saving his people. Chapter 50, verse 4, The Lord God has given me a tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain them with a word who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear those who are taught. How does Jesus speak? How does the servant speak? He speaks with words that sustain those who are weary. We think of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the words of care that he brings forth in Matthew. He speaks truth with grace and love and mercy and tenderness towards his people. The part of Jesus saving his people is teaching them to do what they ought to do, but also comforting them with words of truth about who they are in front of the eyes of God. As we considered earlier that Jesus suffered because of our sin, that can be heavy. That can weigh on us. We can become discouraged by that and dwell on that and not remember the great love that Jesus has for us. Let us remember that he uses his words to sustain the weary. He teaches us what is true about God and how God sees us in Christ. That we can be comforted that as we endure suffering, that God is with us. 
that we, as we are afflicted, that God will sustain us and be with us. God doesn't just have a sharp word that cuts through our hearts, but he also has the right word that can sustain us when we are weary. Jesus saves us, and he teaches us, and he comforts us. Part of Jesus' saving, we see in the servant songs and through scripture, is that he heals people. He brings physical healing. Again, this isn't ultimate salvation, but we see that they are saved from their afflictions. In Matthew 8, after he heals many, Matthew says, This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus, the obedient servant, healed people. He saved people from their afflictions. He was kind to them. He used his power for their good, power that was given to him by the Spirit as he walked the earth. Jesus saves his people. And again, if you're here today and you either don't know who Jesus is or you've been in church hearing about Jesus and the gospel and your sin and how bad you are and how good Jesus is, I ask you today to consider when we say that Jesus saves his people, ultimately we are talking about saving them from their sin and into his glorious light, being united with God forever. Because Jesus suffered on our behalf and laid down his life we can be saved. It's not through our work. So what do we do about this? What do we do about Jesus being the chosen, obedient, suffering servant who saves his people? This is not a call for us to work out our own salvation to be made right with God. This is to see Jesus has accomplished all of the work that was set for salvation that our response needs to be to behold, to look at Jesus, to trust in him, to turn from our sin and walk in a new way. So if you're here today and you aren't following Jesus, I encourage you, look at Jesus, the suffering servant who was sent by the Father and obeyed even to the point of death on the cross. Trust in him alone for your salvation. He is strong enough. He was perfect. He will save you. Just cry out to him. And for those of you who are rejoicing today as we read these things or reminded of these things or taught these things about Jesus and what he has done for us, we also need to behold. We need to look at Jesus every day to be reminded of his grace and his love and his mercy for us. That means to, as a lot of us say as we seek to walk out this Christian life, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. What does that look like? That looks like beholding Jesus. What he did, his work, the love of the Father to send him, praising and giving glory to the Spirit who has opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel. 
What do we need to do, people of God? We need to behold Jesus, which brings us to glorifying and praising our triune God. Father, sending Son, empowered by the Spirit, who also opens our eyes to the beauty of the gospel. Behold the servant, church. We, not just, we don't just behold the servant, but we also follow in the servant's footsteps. I said a couple of times now, we can't accomplish what Jesus accomplishes, but we are called to walk like Jesus walked. Again, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, we read them earlier, but if you're late, I'm going to read them for us again. These are good words for us, talking about not just what Jesus did, but how we ought to live our lives because of what Jesus has done. This is the bad part about not marking a passage in the Bible you've preached from but not studied from. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And preceding that, we see what we should do following Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interests of others. What is obeying Jesus and following in his footsteps looking, look like? It looks like serving others. It looks like obeying what God has called us to do. Again, this is not to earn our salvation, but it's to follow Jesus in joyful obedience, recognizing that he saved us to a new life, that we're to walk in a new way. So as followers of Jesus, because Jesus is the chosen, obedient, suffering servant who saves us. We are to look at him, and we are to walk in obedience to him. And we need help to do this. And as we see, the chosen servant has the spirit given to him to enable him to do his work. We also graciously receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do the work God has called us to do. So like Jesus, we are spirit-empowered people. That the Holy Spirit not just opens our eyes to the gospel, but he enables us to walk in new ways, to turn from sin and to say yes to the holy and good and righteous things of God. He convicts us of our sin and reminds us to turn to Jesus. And he gives us gifts to use in the church to build one another up and to go on mission with the gospel. So finally, what do we do? We go on mission. Jesus, the servant, God's chosen servant, was sent on a mission to save a people. And we, his people, 
have been sent on a mission to proclaim that salvation to the ends of the earth until he comes back. We are to behold him, look at him every day. We're to obey him and walk in the spirit. And we are to go on mission proclaiming this salvation that has been brought by the perfect servant Jesus. Let us proclaim the goodness of the servant to the nations. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have been kind to us. That through the prophet Isaiah, the servant was revealed. That through Jesus, we have salvation. And King Jesus, we do exalt you. This is something we could have spent hours upon, proclaiming your excellencies, seeing that because you were the chosen, obedient, and suffering servant who saves your people, you are to be exalted and praised and glorified and honored. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Oh God, you are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. Spirit, you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. So God, thank you for speaking through the prophet, for opening our eyes to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for preserving your word that we may read it and study it and be encouraged by it and changed by it. And would you do that even as we walk from this place? Would you help us see that we are chosen by you, adopted sons and daughters, that you have called a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that you are bringing them to yourself through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to obey, following in the pattern of the perfect, obedient servant, Jesus. We pray that you would help us as we suffer, that we would consider them light and momentary afflictions as Christ suffered on our behalf and is with us in our suffering here on earth. And we thank you that we will endure no more suffering when we are reunited with you. That justice will fully be brought to light. That wickedness will be dispelled and destroyed. So until that day comes, help us to cling on to Jesus, to hold fast to him. Would you help us to hold, knowing truly that you are the one who holds us? God, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.